Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys and the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Everything sequel contains explicit language. And why the fudge not, you melon farmer? Welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the El Mariachi Edition, Desperado. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, of course, as always, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say hello to the good people, Tom. Be the glass, dick glass, dick glass, dick glass. <laughs> I'm going to say this. I think Robert Rodriguez directs Quentin Tarantino in his finest performance in this movie. You took the words literally right out of my notes. <laughs> yeah. I um I was going to say exactly the same thing. He's the he's the only director uh in motion picture history who knows exactly how to use Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. That's including Quentin Tarantino. Right. In fact, especially yes, exactly. including right. Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> I'm going to say there's at least two of Tarantino's movies that he almost ruins with his own cameos. Yes. Um, Django. <laughs> is one of them. Yes. And I have... Because we talked a lot about Steve Buscemi in the in the minisode, but hey, it's going to happen again. Sorry. Because he's fucking world. amazing. And we are talking <laughs> Deal with Desperado. It. Deal with it. And I, I, well, I went into like a daydream as I was watching this movie about what would have happened if Steve Buscemi played Jimmy in Pulp Fiction instead of Quentin Tarantino. You know the guy mm-hmm. that Quentin Tarantino plays oh, yeah. with the with the wife who's a nurse who's coming home, right. and the I'd be like, and then it just like sort of my mind was popping because I was like, well, that would mean a Reservoir Dogs reunion with Harvey Keitel, right? And he could still be in the movie as that Buddy Holly Holly now, waiter now, because does that the, mean because that... these directors <laughs> these directors don't care about having people playing multiple roles. Like, oh my god! Would the, would that mean that you would have? Quentin Tarantino take over the role of him at the restaurant? No. Okay. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> well, this this is so it, it's it, it's interesting like cuz I I think that Robert Rodriguez has is the only well, he's the only director who knows how to use him. He's the only person who's got a thoroughly successful leading performance out of him in From Dust Till Dawn. I agree with that too. Where he's like playing with playing up against George Clooney, and he doesn't look like the horrid actor he is. Yeah, which is some kind of magic. Um, I think he's but good in that movie. He's very good I think in he's that really movie. Really good in that movie. And my theory is that he he knows Tarantino as a person better than Tarantino knows himself as a person. Maybe. And is casting him where he should. What casting him as the real life Tarantino, not what Tarantino thinks he is. Yeah. And. He never outstays his welcome. Like he always kills him off, like before you got tired of him. Right. Uh, <laughs> so it's 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 win 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 for that. But as I was watching his performance in this movie, his diction is horrible. Right. Like, do you know that he did like a Broadway play at one point? Oh, I didn't know that. He took some time off directing to perform, not direct, perform in a Broadway play. My nightmare is being stuck in that play, having to watch <laughs> conservatively 90 minutes of Tarantino acting. At you. Yeah, in a theater with poor diction. And then you'll give him the Ben Affleck from uh, Shakespeare in Love, where in the rehearsals you just say, are you going to do it like that? Yep. <laughs> or is that how and you're you know, going to do it? He's great. He's great with feedback. Everyone knows that about Tantino. He loves getting feedback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we're not talking about just Tarantino. We're not. We are talking about 
Desperado, the 1995 film directed by Robert Rodriguez, who you do know. I mean, if you haven't seen El Mariachi, you've probably seen From Dusk Till Dawn, perhaps The Faculty, the Spy Kids series. More Sin recently, City. Sin City and Alita Battle Angel. Right. This movie has 64% on Rotten Tomatoes, Tom. That's low. I'll tell you this. I think that's low, too, for this movie. Uh, a budget of $7 million. That, to me, is pretty astonishing. Because this movie what? looks good. But, I mean, it plays into the it plays into the, the kind of myth and legend of El Mariachi being made for... 10,000 or 7,000, something like that. Which was bullshit. Um, which was a t- like a promotional thing. Because mm-hmm. there was a jur- the journalist, uh, Joe Queenan, who I think write- writes for The New Yorker. Um, I remember reading a book where he set out to sort of... It was like a kind of supersize me thing. He set out to like make a feature film on the same reported budget uh, of El Mariachi. And like the first thing he discovered was that the reported budget was pre-editing. Like excluded all the post production. Oh, interesting. So it was it was I mean, great you know, great salesmanship, but it was all bullshit. But it's interesting that there's still like fiscal responsibility is still part of this Yeah uh, part of the franchise. I mean so much so okay, budget of seven seven million, opening weekend of seven point nine, in the USA and the world twenty five point four. But this put them on the map. And to speaking to your point about the budget, one of the funniest things about this movie, uh, you know, Antonio Bandera said he must have killed uh, two guys 40 different times in this movie because they could only <laughs> afford two stuntmen. And so it's those two stuntmen constantly being killed over and over and over again. But to me, it's... that's a remarkable feat because wouldn't have noticed that I was even looking for it this time and I didn't really yeah. notice it. It's like the action movie equivalent of uh, uh, like a Scooby Doo background, right? You know, yeah, when exactly. when they're running and the background just keeps revolving, <laughs> it's like that, but with stuntmen. I mean, I just think oh, that's well, hysterical. Well, well, I noticed he did his own uh, he did his own Steadicam work on this, which must have saved some money. Mm-hmm. But he does that for a lot of his films. We'll talk about. Yeah, we could talk about but, credits in the next film. But you. You know what? I mean, Steadicam operators—they think they're Bon Jovi, so they—they're like, you know, I'm sure they charge through the roof for their services. Right. So I—I I bet he saved a million right there. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, now where do you? So let's start with this cold open because we both referenced it in our ranking episode, and I—I I think I referenced this in that episode too. To me. This is, especially for not a first-time filmmaker, but this is a first. This is his first shot with big money at yeah. making a Hollywood movie <laughs> with medium money. Medium money. <laughs> I think it's funny that seven million dollars is medium money even in 1995. But yeah, you know, go ahead and give me seven million dollars. I'll make something for you if you're listening, Hollywood. But yeah, I'll make a run for it. Is what I'll do. Yeah. Right. But what I want to say is this cold open, more than anything else, lets you know that you are in assured hands with Robert Rodriguez as your director of this movie. That's what this cold open does more than anything. It's the, the setup is just fantastic. It's so fucking good. Yeah, and and I you know I likened it to the the fir- the first Blood Part Two right. cold open, and I think it's it's a similar situation where it's having to do a lot of heavy lifting as a se- as a sequel because we're going we we've cha- we're changing the lead actor, we we've sh- the scale of the movie has changed, right. um, and. E- also, there's a kind of there's a, there's a myth and legend around the production of El Mariachi based on the fact that it was like guerrilla filmmaking and yeah. you know this incredible this feature film made on a shoestring. He's got all that to deal with, and 
he deals with it all in one sequence. Yeah. Because the you know, and that's partly what I attribute this discrepancy of people's descriptions of, of the El Mariachi character to, the fact that we're we're changed just like no one quite knows what he looks like. Mm-hmm. The fact that we're going from uh, Carlos Gallardo to Antonio, Antonio Banderas. Antonio Banderas, right. This, and again, just this sense of like, sec, you, you know, it, it also it feels like a catch-up session. It's like a, as a nice kind of exposition drop in a way that you don't mind because it's done as a Steve Buscemi monologue and a colourful story. You get this kind of, you get like heavy amounts of, you get a very verbose scene that is doing a lot of expository work, but it doesn't feel like that at all. It feels like uh, something really fun and funny and exciting. And that is a remarkable feat. Right, it's all of that, yeah. And, you know, you've got you've got Cheech Marin, one of the one of the, you know, greatest comedic, comedian actors of all time. You've got Steve Buscemi, who if, you know, I mean, Reservoir Dogs has already happened, but I don't think we've seen the beginning of his talent yet mm-hmm. by this point in 1995 so put all that together and it's a pretty remarkable sequence um shot selection i mean you know the other thing that that occurs to me is it just makes the whole movie look so fucking cool yeah <laughs> you know it's interesting. I, I one uh, recently I've been, I signed up for the master classes, mm-hmm. and I was doing the David Mamet master class, which um, was uh, dot 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 interesting. Uh, just <laughs> <laughs> try and say it, say it in a Mametian way, and you know the majority of it is abstract, meandering garbage. Okay. You know, you know what it's like when David Mamet opens his mouth. Uh, but when he does case studies of his own plays, it actually gets a little, it gets quite interesting. Mm-hmm. And he said that on a couple of occasions, he had monologues that were in the th- second or third act of the movies. And he liked them so much, he said, you know, any writer worth his salt should know that you put this at the beginning of the play, not in your second and third act. Mm. That's kind of how I feel about this scene. Like, in my in my memory, it wasn't the beginning of the movie. It was just an a scene in the movie, and oh, I wow, wonder okay. if it's if at some stage in the screenplay it was, you know, and this scene could really be anywhere in the movie. And I wonder whether it just got so good that they're like, it, it had we to cannot, go to the front. we cannot we not begin, begin the this. movie this yeah. way, <laughs> because see, I always in, felt like, like it felt more purposeful than that. That 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 this maybe. was his setup. And for all the reasons you just spoke to about that reintroducing too, yeah. the character with a new actor, but uh, the, but it, you know Banderas is hardly in the scene. It's all Steve Buscemi is not really a character in the movie. Right. There are kind of fault lines. That, there are like screenplay fault lines there that that you know sent my spidey sense tingling. That maybe this was like a second, third act scene that they they just couldn't resist putting it like being front loading this movie mm-hmm. however the decision got made because also it's not really an action scene in an action movie too it's a talking scene yeah which is again where tarantino and rodriguez movies are just so admirable in the way that they can sell really wordy scenes mm-hmm. as as if you've as if you've seen it like an action scene because you really haven't. What you see is a bullshit story right. told by a guy at a bar to a bartender. And True Romance begins that way as well. And right. It's the best scene in the movie. And there's nothing wrong with the rest of that movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm just in awe of it. I have nothing well, and I also, to say about it. Because the thing, because I have some other notes here. I was really struck. I mean, the whole scene's just magnificent. But I was struck also even... Uh, Tito Lariva, who is the front man for uh, Tito and the Tarantulas. The, oh, the yeah, singer. yeah, from uh, from Rustle Dawn. Yeah. yeah. He's he fucking great for... as an actor in that scene. So there's and... something, you know, Robert, you, we were speaking earlier to uh, being able to wrangle Quentin Tarantino. And yeah. I don't know how much acting Tito Lariva had done, but... <laughs> But he's he's fucking great in this scene. 
And he's but, playing I mean, with Cheech Marin in a way that makes me think there's there was something magical going on on the set that day between right. Buscemi, between Marin, and between you know Lariva that all yeah. just worked so well. It does. It does have a kind of lightning in a bottle feeling. Yeah. Like if you did this on a different day with with different people, it, it would not. It would not have landed the way it did. But just to kind of open it up, because I, I mean, yeah, go ahead. I don't know about you. I'd love to talk about this cold open for for an, an hour. Uh, yeah, but, right. Um, just just to kind of open it up a little bit. Um, there's a there's a reductive way in which you can look at this movie as. Uh, let's refit El Mariachi with all my new famous friends yeah. that I've met in Hollywood because sure. of the notoriety of, of El Mariachi. Of El Mariachi, right. Um, but, so, but the, others, the other way of looking at that is like, you, this movie, you have all the big hitters of Latin music and cinema yeah. at your disposal. And that just, I mean, when... When we get into the credit sequence, credits slash dream sequence, um, uh, I'm just like Los Lobos, the La Bamba guys. <laughs> like, how many parties did Robert Rodriguez go to between 1993 and 1995? I mean, yeah. he's just like he's like picking up the best of the best. Antonio fucking Banderas, yeah. Pedro Almodovar's guy. It's, it's like if the lead in your movie. But you have, you know, that's the other interesting thing about this movie is that you have Salma Hayek and you have Antonio Banderas. And even though we had seen Antonio Banderas before, he, he is also at the beginning of his American acting career. Yes. And so... And he, and he struggles speaking English. I mean, there's no nice way to say it. Oh, but I love his voice in this movie. I love his voice, but his, no, it's not his voice. It's his act. It's 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 his acting. He can't. For me, he can't ground himself and hold himself back when he's speaking in English. Okay, it's something I've noticed that's particular. Not just particular to him. It's what a lot of. It goes like two ways when someone, non-English speakers perform in English. It either goes like so insular that they're barely acting, Gerard Depardieu, or mm-hmm. um. Who is like fucking wild man of the woods in every French movie he's ever done, <laughs> or the Antonio Banderas effect where he's just like his body's too big and his 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 actions are too big for because he's compensating because you know he doesn't have that natural. Um, really? I le- I mean I I don't have a problem with it. I mean I think he's much better in this than he is in the, in Once Upon a Time in in Mexico. You really feel that yeah. puss in boots, Zorro. Uh, experience in the next one and and it's it, he's definitely a bit more of a blank canvas here mm-hmm. but in turn i mean you know to, that's the amazing thing you know like how these movies straddle american and european cinema because it feels like right. they're speaking yeah. to both audiences yeah like, absolutely especially when i mean even in once upon a time in mexico you got the star of cinema paradiso and light water for chocolates right. in a cameo it's like there's a double address here that's really interesting, I think. Well, we're just getting started, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about Desperado. Uh, let's take a break, Tom, and then we'll come back and I'll, we'll, I will I got some subjects I want to dive into. So nice. We'll talk about the violence of it all, for starters. How about There's that? violence in this movie? I thought it was just ballet. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly my point. All right. <laughs> Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. 
and the Vegas beer guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing Robert Rodriguez's sort of remake of El Mariachi, <laughs> Desperado, the 1995 film. All right, Tom, one of the things I wanted to talk about uh, for this movie was that is the violence of the movie. And you you were... You referenced right before we went on break that uh, that it was more of a ballet... Yeah, and and usually that's like that's like lazy journalism when you say that all oh, the violence was balletic, you know. Mm-hmm. But this is the this is like one of but the first. But it's it's that by design, right? Yeah, yeah it's like one of and... the first movies where I've actually gone. I actually think that's based on like ballet dancing rather than anything right. else. <laughs> so what's interesting to me about this movie is that, you know. The mid-90s, violence in the mid-90s was something to be sort of admired and celebrated as fun. Yes. Right? And um, you see that as It was, aesthetic, as it was aestheticized and, to, a, yeah, right. to a degree, at least in American cinema. I mean, you know, in the 70s, 70s and 80s, European cinema was way ahead on that, you know, the... the the uh, giallo, Italian giallo horror movies and the spaghetti westerns were all, yeah. you know, based on that principle of aestheticized violence. But it was the 90s and through people like Tarantino and Rodriguez and and, uh, and other film, other kind of indie filmmakers, the Coen brothers, to some extent, sure. um, who like brought that to American cinema, I think. Yeah. Oh, you can see I it think, in Scorsese, too. But I think too, what's interesting but, about yeah. watching these movies now with 2021 eyes, you know, we're having a real idea about, or at least a conversation about violence in America. Yeah. Uh, that violence seems to be, for a certain sect of, let's face it, white males, if something's not going right in your life, Violence becomes the answer. We're dealing about that with police. Yeah. And and it's in this film. I mean, this this, you know, El Mariachi. Has brought violence to his life. Hmm. And Again. there are costs. The, the child gets shot in this movie. He brings his two friends in and 15 minutes later, they're dead. But the one thing that this movie has that I don't think Once Upon a Time in Mexico has is at least a reference point of the loss of violence. Completely. And it's in the beginning of this movie. I I love the scene where Steve Buscemi has laid the story on thick and then he comes to see his friend. And he starts referencing the bloodbath in the other town, and yeah. it's still it's still able it's deft enough to still be comedic. Where Antonio Banderas is saying, "No, that's not my fault. They they started it, you know that kind of thing." Well, but no matter, yeah, my you know one of the things I just I I wrote it down. One of the things I really really love is when Steve Buscemi says, uh, "You know, are you finally going to be satisfied if you get Bucho as that is?" and Antonio Banderas can't even look at him. So it's one of the choices by the actors. I don't yeah. know how, you know, if it's Robert Rodriguez directing too, but he can't even look at him as he's saying, I think so. And he says, well, I hope so. Hmm. And, and and there's something innate within the man that that you understand that the violence is sort of corrupting him within. Yeah. And so this movie gets a pass for me on, on the violence that he creates that that causes loss of life to people he cares about in his life you know yeah I, you know and i feel like this about a lot of other 90 you know the the best of of like hyper violent american indie cinema of the 90s is it's like 
the consequences of violence yeah, are shown, no right. matter how stylized the actual execution of the violence is. And any filmmaker who loses sight of that, I think, is unless they're doing it for a very specific kind of absurdist comic effect. Uh, well, that there, movie, there this movie has that here. too. They're dragging oh, bodies through the bar, followed by a, a mop. Full on physical, com- physical yeah, comedy. Yeah, yeah, the right. fans slapping that guy in the it. face. Right. Is but you know, I mean that that's the thing. You know, it's it's. It. I mean, it's violent. It's also very self consciously violent. What what for me? You're absolutely right. That 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 moral argument. The fact that consequences and and um, uh, moral ambiguities and because uh, I do think this movie downplays the consequences. You do. His friends die, but and they're they're. It's not like he sees. He has a moment of, oh fuck! I I I'm the cause of that. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. Like you said, it comes in with the. It comes in with the kid getting shot. Um, in the comes scene, comes in with Buscemi too. His dying. Scene, yeah. Because um, he he references, I just lost probably the best friend I ever had. Yeah. So that there are there are moments of it, but but for me, you know, the rationale is it, that when when your violence is explored stylistically in terms of dance mm-hmm. and physical comedy, um, and not as not as kind of realism, not as how violence really is, you're 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 thinking about it as movie aesthetics, not um, the movie aesthetics of violence. Is right. the frame is your frame of reference not real not violence in the real world? And I think that's as true today as it was then. Um, yeah, I'll, yeah, I agree with you on that. But but it would be difficult. It would be diff- more difficult to take if we weren't showing without compromising. And you know, you got to think about the genre too. And and we don't want this. You, we don't we don't want it to be like we don't want it to get in the way too much of of the pleasures of violence and yeah but there is there's a there's a little element of that i think is is important um yeah so that i think i think this movie's covered on violence whichever way you look at it yeah i agree and and the kid as well i mean but i just think it's interesting because juxtaposed with the movie we're going to do next oh like i've got problems like this movie's smart enough to like there's a there's a small child with a yellow shirt basically in all three of these movies, right? Yeah. In this movie, Robert Rodriguez is smart enough to have this small child always walking around the streets with a guitar yeah. and coming up to El Mariachi to Banderas and he teaches him to play guitar. Mm-hmm. So when an adult is sitting next to a child and teaching them how to play guitar and says, "Okay, now practice." All of a sudden you're on that person's side. He's right. a good guy. You think no matter what violence he's committing, he's a good guy. In the next movie, the kid's always with Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp's not a good guy. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, I have bigger problems with the violence of that movie because that movie isn't smart enough to deal with it the way this movie did. Yeah, and and interestingly, you know, I think it, it it's like from the from the James Cameron playbook of kids in sequels right mm-hmm. like you use you use them in aliens and terminator 2 use them to humanize the inhuman right like people who are presented as inhuman in the original movie are humanized by having interactions with a child and some sort of threat to the ch- child that they have to protect them from they're yeah exactly yeah. Have to so whereas i think again i think it comes down to like the next movie wants to be all postmodern and ironic about that convention and it leaves you like a queasy cold feeling mm-hmm. whereas this one is like you know on the borderline of being genuinely heartwarming yeah i think we will i think we're a lot less i don't know a lot less snotty about authentic genuine emotion in 1995 than we were in 2003 i think that's got a big mm, okay i think it might have been seen to be passe right to 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 be employing a james cameron um like um like a, a it would have been seen as like a mawkish thing to do by 2003 right but 
it's a convention that works because of the way you know of the nature of sequels and and uh how you how you develop character through it not mm-hmm. because you know not because it's sentimental i mean it is um and this is a, and also it fits the framework of this perfectly because you know you, you high emotion melodrama sentiment play a big part played a big part in El Mariachi and plays a big mm-hmm. part in this movie and the third movie kind of loses sight of that yeah um so it all kind of works together pretty well i think agreed now you spoke to uh the cold open being a high watermark that the movie could never yeah. live up to. Few could though, right? I, right. I, I'll agree with you on that. I I do think that the the ballet battle in the bar it comes in under it, but to me, just under it. Like I, yeah. I still find that scene to be quite magical. Yeah. Uh, but I had referenced my my feelings about sort of how I always felt about the movie and how I feel about it on this viewing. When I first saw the movie, that first kind of third of the movie, the chunk of the cold open and then the battle of the bar scene. Yeah. Not not quite a third of the movie, but to me, those were like high water marks that yeah. the movie could never live up to for the whole, and it, the rest of the movie was sort of a steady decline for me. It wasn't, as much of a decline for me on this viewing, though. There's so there's still a lot of great shit in this movie after that. Yeah. But it, the pace slows down. Well, I don't... And I think you referenced that in our ranking, too, right? Right. Uh, for me, it's not a linear problem. It's not a case of, like, the movie goes into decline. It's about what you choose to spend time on that you on? don't need to okay. spend time on. And for me, and I may be alone in this... But I think the the I I mean there's a lot of great performances in this movie, but the guy who plays Bucho is not one of them. Oh, okay. I do not like his performance at all. It's maybe because I've seen him play too many kind of TV cartel villains that he's, it's impossible yeah. to unsee that. I mean, there's a moment where he's 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 um, his right hand man is the guy who puts him in prison in season three of Twenty Four, and I'm like, ah, I can't unsee this. <laughs> right. Um, but I think he's off the pace acting wise, and we spend a lot of time at the cartel compound, and I don't know why we're there. Well, I think those scenes are the blandest. The scenes because... are the blandest in the movie. He can't carry the scenes. I just but find I'll also it say because genuinely it's not uninteresting. A, it's not a sequel inversion, but it's a it's a narrative inversion where whenever we're going to the gangsters, it's for comic relief. But it's not very funny. And it's not as funny as Banderas and Hayek and Steve Buscemi and Danny Trejo are being. You're so right about that. It's just, but again, I, I think sometimes Rodriguez does not know what he's got in terms yeah. of real estate. And the sad part of this is obviously, you know, like the guy who's playing him is, is, is you know, um, ethnically right for the part. Mm-hmm. But he's just bland in a way that doesn't Joaquin make you want it doesn't make you it wants you makes you want to have another ethnically appropriate actor in that role and you know what i'm talking about here well but he was the go-to guy at that time and i think that's kind of what they're going for but i think it falls flat because he's just not good enough like he's just not interesting enough like of all the quirky interesting acting in this movie he looks like he's off the pace of that, I think. And also, I don't think anything very interesting is happening in the compound I disagree scenes. with you, but I don't... He doesn't bother me, I don't think, as much as he bothers you. And again, it's all about the high watermark of... That's true. A lot of very good people are very good in this movie in, in minor roles. Mm-hmm. Like, throughout. So, the fact that... You know he doesn't get as much. <laughs> I think I put a one point. But I, I like, like I give, like the give this give this stuff to Danny Trejo. Right, I was <laughs> like say, every single I, time. I do I do enjoy a lot of the performances of his henchmen. I like his right hand man. I like the big guy with the cowboy hat. I but like it's all the... it's like it's all acting independent of 
No, you're right about that. Of the storyline. Absolutely. I mean, it it's like, I don't particularly object Would this to the, movie to the be secret better brother served? thing or the hitherto unseen friends, because I think those are sequel conventions and they're playing them as such. But uh-huh. I don't think I don't think the fact that that he has a connection, he has a like a familial connection to El Mariachi is enough to justify the amount of time he spent in that compound, like with just stuff that would even well, get that leads cut, me to... even would get cut from like the Cinemax version of this, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> like it would it would like even in like a but really you, bad TV movie, if you it would were still rewriting get cut. this movie, if you were rewriting this movie, would you? write less for that those scenes or would you eliminate it would you keep him away from the audience completely and keep him an unknown for our hero i think we learn until enough. he sees him I th- yeah i think we but he he doesn't i mean like i think we learn enough about him when we see him interact with the main with the other main characters mm-hmm. i don't think we learn anything other than getting that generic drug dealer cartel you know stuff we get we get like a kickboxing fight <laughs> it's like right. slap slapped on for our troubles but it's just it's just not not worth it for me okay. um and it it it's to to me that that weighs down the movie um in in a way that's just not very pleasurable. It's not a huge problem, you know. You can you can ignore it, um, mm-hmm. and I do. Yeah, right. But, um, uh, I just yeah, I don't. I, I again, I just, I just think it's like it's a. I was gonna say screenplay naivete, but if you look at a lot of even uh, recent Rodriguez movies, it's the same problem. Yeah, Sin okay. City, I think, has that problem. Even though it's an well, here's the other thing, right? Is that is that the Tarantino and Rodriguez have they like to make movies that are episodic and anthological in nature, and yeah. sometimes I think they apply that logic to linear storytelling in a way that doesn't always pay off. Okay, like when right. it pays off, it's Pulp Fiction. Right. When it doesn't pay off, it's Four Rooms. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and here I see like a, a, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a sort of a through line, but it, it kind of, it stops and it staggers. Uh, and then then suddenly the movie's over. But it didn't bother me as much on this viewing for some reason. No, it's good. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, but, uh, you know, I think I kind of, I want to talk a little bit more about that, the bar room battle scene just because fuck man I love that scene yeah it's great and you know who's great in that scene is his name's Diego Sandoval he uh-huh. plays the accountant uh-huh. yes. he was like the second assistant director or something like that also not an actor <laughs> interesting and he's so fucking good when they slide across the bar against each other and they both pull the trigger and they're both empty Yes, yes, that is a. I and have Banderas that. is like, ooh, and the look on his face puts his hand up. Yeah, and they put the guns down. It's so fucking good. Is it just? It's perfect as well because you know, and it, this is when when you talk about the violence having consequences. It's it, there are also these kind of these moments of realism that are played for comic effect, mm-hmm. like. In the middle of this gun battle, it's like right. it's it's like it's not it's not John Woo where no one ever has to reload. Right. You know, exactly. it's like it's like even it's the even total opposite. <laughs> like Rodriguez is like at some point it's like we gotta put in a bit in this scene about how all their ammunition is gone. Right. We gotta take it a little seriously. And but yet, it also But they make me... what they make out of it is very funny and very exciting. Yeah. But it also leads me to this question for you, because following that is uh, the man, Tito uh, Lariva, following El Mariachi outside of the bar. And this is where we're introduced to Salma Hayek. And it's almost all in slow motion, Tom. Hmm. You hate the slow motion. 
I fucking love it for that whole scene, though. <laughs> I think it works. I It didn't bother me. Okay. I mean, <laughs> the, but Buscemi's in that scene, right? No, no, no. This is after the bar battle. Oh, okay. Remember, like, Tarantino's shot in the shitty toilet or behind the shitty toilet, and he's with... But isn't there a moment where the 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 cast of the first half of the movie gets killed in one scene and <laughs> uh, on the street like Danny Trejo and yeah that's a little later though okay okay that's not yeah. the same scene same um, different scene well yeah but I mean I, I I didn't notice the slow motion I noticed that Selma Hayek was being introduced um like Gloria Graham and It's a Wonderful Life like she yeah. stops traffic right so. It's you know it's a it's appropriate for for you know a a beautiful woman who's going to become a big star. Mm-hmm. It's I think it's I think it's fine. Um, yeah. Uh, the thing I don't like is that what one thing I read was that nudity was not included in the script. It wasn't specifically stated that she was supposed to be nude, so she didn't find out until they were going to start filming, and she was so nervous about it that she was crying. Oh, that's awful. And that I don't like. It's, it's weird, but I mean, that's, since we're, since we're there, since we're talking about it now, it, that sex scene accelerates at such a pace. <laughs> right. It's almost become, like, like when it starts, I'm like, oh, it's kind of like a pastiche of, you know, the 80s, montage mm-hmm. you know the way that they did sex scenes in 80s movies with montage and then it just kind of as if someone sped up the film well it's like a I full, a full on that, sex though... scene bam like right in and i'm sort of like now it's like a it's like a parody of itself right and there and there's lots of quick cuts yeah and a lot of that has to do with the fact that she would break down in the middle of filming they couldn't get the long extended sequences that Robert Rodriguez wanted. Oh, interesting. And uh, well, it looks it looks like a choice, and at least they made lemonade out of what is a very reasonable refusal by her to yeah. be objectified. Um, that's fascinating. Right. Um, All right. Well, let's take another break, and then we'll come back and we'll finish up with Desperado, the 1995 film by Robert Rodriguez. Right after this. If you like podcasts like I do, boy, do I have a treat for you. You need to stay on target and check out the Sounds and Cinema podcast. Listen as your host, sound designer and music creator, Tony Parham, and co-host, musical performer and sound lover, Derek Hansen, D-Rock if you're nasty, and I am, discuss all things sound related to film, television, stage, and theatrical productions. They discuss environmental sounds, bioacoustics, dialogue, the nature of communication through sound. But as an added bonus, they drink beer and try to... Stay on target. Find them wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the pure mania of a man who can charitably be described as Doug, the dog from Up, and another man with a soothing and sultry voice trying to get that man to... Stay on target. That's the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Tune in and listen to the sounds they are creating just for you. And we're back yet again, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing Desperado. Tom, we were both just referencing off mic. uh, We were talking about, I mean, narratively in our story, we're at the point now where now Antonio Banderas and Selma Hayek come together and they have great chemistry in this movie, do they not? Yeah, they do. Um, I love the scene where she's taking the bullets out of him. Yeah, I do too. Um, and also, I like the fact that, and this is another reason why the cold opens so great, is because it's it's like we work back from that um, heroic image of right. El Mariachi. Like in that scene, it's very clear that he's more of like a sloppy hero in the in the right. Indiana Jones. Um, Tom Atkins and Halloween Three kind of uh, <laughs> right. mold. I love the the, the great moment where he, drew, he 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 picks up a 
cup of water, drinks it, and it's the hot and water the that hot she's water. using to sanitize all the instruments and I spits it that. out. And it's where it's where like the slightly camp edge of Andy, Antonio Banderas performing in the English language actually works for the movie pretty well. Mm-hmm. I like I I like that moment. Something that really struck me again while we're there. <laughs> Is how pervasive like '90s American pop culture is on any movie made in this era, because Carolina mm-hmm. owns a bookstore come coffee shop. Right. This is a modern day western set in a sleepy Mexican town. Right. And it's like there's an episode of the sitcom Ellen in the middle of it. <laughs> I mean, I like the choice. It gives me this warm, cozy feeling of, like, you know, being young and watching Friends and Ellen and, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. But it's a very weird choice. Take it out of context. She even says this town never had a bookstore. No one ever comes in here. Yeah, right. (laughs) So why the fuck? It's like the only reason is, is like sitcoms like Friends and Seinfeld and Ellen, right? Just to have that, that, uh, cute moment together you mean no i mean why is it a bookstore come coffee shop as if it wasn't like a like a mid-90s american sitcom right and i get the same feeling when those valley girls come in to the bar earlier in the movie i get it more for that yeah one of the funniest scenes in the movie yeah and it's where you know i'll tell you what that actor she was great (laughs) because she i mean she is like up to the limit of over the top, but oh, still it's... believable. Like, she, I think she plays that great. And it's really, it's really like I like the fact that these, these, you know, these LA guys are making movies about like rural Mexico, but they're not pretending that they're that they're not like part of the the LA scene, like. They have all these little notes, like the bookstore and the coffee shop, which is somehow in the middle of all of this this mm-hmm. this town. The Valley Girls coming coming in. This sort of like this playing off the gentrification element in in a really a really funny way, and to play that off, Cheech Marin and his you know like <laughs> it's like well your beer takes like piss, and he's like we piss in it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's great. It's really good, and and those those moments do a lot for me as of course does uh steve buscemi turning up in a reference to uh q and for for your eyes only in the confession booth 44 minutes everybody well they and i gotta mention it because they doubled down on it in the next movie in a way that's even more of a reference even more ridiculous and it's that weird thing where you know because I, well, I haven't even talked about this, but, you know, one of the things that characterizes directors like Rodriguez is that they are cinephiles. Yeah. And for, but they're a particular kind of cinephile, which comes from the VHS era. Yeah. And so as soon as I saw that, I didn't even have to, like, rationalize it in the way that I do other Bond references. Like, I was like, oh, that's a For Your Eyes Only reference. Right. I guarantee Robert Rodriguez has For Your Eyes Only on VHS, because that's exactly the kind of movie he would have on VHS. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't even need to think about it. Like, I didn't... It, 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 it made total sense. Right. And then he doubles down in it in the next movie, and I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, it's pretty, pretty clear. Um... Well, and so of... you were referencing earlier that scene where everybody we kind of meet at the beginning dies. That's right about where we're at. I think that's where the episodic element comes in, where uh-huh. you sort of feel like it's like, oh, well, we're done with that part of the movie. Now let's move on to the next part of the movie <laughs> because Buscemi dies, Danny Trejo dies, and they're set up as the the main characters from mm-hmm. the, the. And it's like, okay, guess not. And then you know, Selma Hayek walks in, and we get our second cast. Essentially, <laughs> um, so maybe they just can't help doing that sort of anthological style of storytelling. It works for this movie. Yeah, it's not like, of course you miss Steve Buscemi, but you also when you watch Steve Buscemi, especially in this period of cinema, you know he's probably not going to be in much of the movie because right. he was the cameo king. He's the cameo king, but I also think it's one of those things too, like going back to the this idea of the violence. 
there are consequences to the choices this character is making. And one of one of the things that really works for me, uh, in actually both of these movies, but particularly in this movie, is that um, the movie doesn't let you off the hook. Even the characters that, even your favorite characters, the coolest characters in the movie, could get killed off just as easily as, as like the heavies. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like, it's actually quite a canny move. Something that that modern day film and television does a lot now, but probably not back then, where you just, you know, you establish that. Oh, I like this guy. This guy's a great actor. What a great performance! Oh, he's dead. Oh, he's dead. <laughs> and I mean, nowhere is this. Nowhere is this like. Later on in the movie, when when the original El Mariachi appears, yeah, as one as, as El Mariachi, as an as an another El Mariachi, right, right. <laughs> and he does a lot of cool gun guitar case shit, and oh, then he yeah. gets killed. And but they that's... get killed so quickly. I mean, you know, there's well, yeah. There's I mean, that is... You know, Antonio Banderas has lines like, no, I can't even call them. They'll destroy the whole city. <laughs> and I was kind of hoping can't we'd wait, make can't good wait on to that call promise. Back to that. You know, I, I really wanted to make good on that promise. I wanted them to destroy a little bit more, but... Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, the self-referentiality of it is, for me, the best part of, of that. The fact that that is El Mariachi and... Mm-hmm. I mean, part of it is like it's a golden handshake, isn't it? It's like, yeah, it's right. Like, yeah, we totally. we recast it, recast Absolutely. you, but we're gonna have you in. Well, you, first of all, you're gonna produce, help produce. You're gonna be a producer on the movie, so you got money coming that way. Mm-hmm. Second of all, we're gonna put you in one scene. In the movie, you're gonna do a bunch of cool shit, blow shit. You're up. gonna have fun. Yeah, yeah. And it, it just occurred to me, it's like, well, actually. You know, he it's like he can still say he did all the cool shit he would want to do in an El Mariachi scene. Absolutely. Sequel. It's just all in one scene. <laughs> he just didn't get the cool line. The Antonio Banderas line when he says, let's play. Yeah. Um, That's such great that, fun shit. And we talked in the minisode about, you know, whether this is a remake or a sequel. And the idea of bringing the original El Mariachi back mm-hmm. in a cameo feels very remakey to me. That's like Gregory Peck in, Cape, in Scorsese's Cape Fear or Charlton Heston in the Tim does it, Burton Does Planet it rise the to the level of Imbass? It's a whatever the Rumbass. Yeah. <laughs> whatever the remake equivalent of it is. But but also, you know, I just I it's just a lovely moment and that extra layer of of uh and it's not like it's not an in joke. I mean it's an in joke, but it's not like we're all in on the joke because if you've seen El oh, Mariachi, yeah, right. you'll be like, "That's fucking El Mariachi." Right, yeah, <laughs> and he's got a guitar case. Um, so I, I sort of loved that. Yeah, oh, me too. And now, and you know when when Tarantino comes into it, it's very clear. Uh, you know the music gets very Dick Dale and the Deltones when he walks in, so it's like right. There's an understanding of who these people are outside of the movie. Cheech Marin, too, obviously. Uh, it's like they're playing to these people's personas. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what do you make of... I mean, can you recall your your original viewing of this movie? Did Bucho <laughs> being his... Viewings. Did, did Bucho being his brother... Did that catch you as a surprise or or could you see that coming or <laughs> It's hard to um, remember that far back but Yeah no no it's not hard to remember at all cuz so the piecemeal quality of this movie was not helped for me for the fact that it was a movie I kept catching on TV mm. like you know bits of it so my first viewing of it was probably covered to cobbled together from multiple viewings which for a movie that's already pretty fragmented uh, leaves you confused about what scene goes where. Gotcha. But I also, I also like, I, <laughs> I wanted to, this is the worst part of this is it was blown. I, I, I'd forgotten that this happened, that the, the brother reveal. Um, okay. 
But stupidly, I wanted to see. I had a feeling that Bucho was in the original El Mariachi, which oh, he's not. Okay, no, he's not. Because as we know, I, I, I sometimes I think characters from sequels were in the original when they were not. Yeah. Listen to the <laughs> right. another forty-eight hours episode for <laughs> for verification of that. And I looked it up, and the first thing it said on Wikipedia is like, Bucho is the brother of El Mariachi. I was like, oh, fuck! <laughs> That's blown that scene for me. But, I mean, like I said, because it's a sequel, I don't have a problem with these sequel tropes, which are played as sequel tropes. Yeah. Even the overall revenge plot, I think, is like a very... You can imagine like a... A kung fu sequel. Right, I mean, this is very... Revenge of El Mariachi. It's, yeah. the, it's the same sort of... It makes a lot of sense. It's this movie. We're steeped in the world of sequels and steeped in the world of action movies. That all of that kind of is. Yeah, and the way the way this movie plays out, I think, is very smart. Mm-hmm. The ending to this movie is a very smart sequel ending. Yes, absolutely. Um, but let me ask you this: What about just fading to white for that final, you know? battle scene at at Bucho's little it palace. Makes me th- you know what it may immediately makes me think of? What? Uh, the Lego Batman movie. <laughs> you know the scene I'm talking about? No, I'm trying to remember. So, so at the beginning of the movie, it's, I, I, I gotta, I, I'm a huge, obviously I'm a huge fan of the Lego Batman movie. It's like this podcast in animated movie form. Uh-huh. Um, but... <laughs> The be- like the beginning, <laughs> the beginning of it is like a voiceover from Will Arnett saying, "All in <laughs> like movies start with the black," and then at the end of the movie, it's like it it fades to white, and he says, "All important movies end in white." <laughs> <laughs> but I'll give Rodriguez the benefit of the doubt that I want to say actually I. I'm remembering now reading something on IMDb. It might have literally just been a. Uh... No, I don't think they had run out of money. I think it was violent <laughs> to an extent. I think it was violent to an extent that they were going to get an NC-17 rating. Now that makes sense. And instead that of trying to sense. cut bits and pieces of it out, he just decided to get rid of it. Yeah, and you know it's it's. You're in you're in telenovela territory here, so mm-hmm. why not use the style of that? <laughs> That's yeah. how it felt to me, you know. But the one um, thing that I thought was smart about it, because you already have the bar scene, and then you have the scene, uh, you know, just ten minutes before it, the big battle scene, the let's play scene. Yeah. And so we've already, in addition to him getting knives thrown at him, so we have like an action scene in the middle too there. Yeah, uh, where he's not fighting back, but but so you already have these sort of set piece action things, and we kind of already know what he's gonna do and how he's going to escape. Yes. So maybe we don't need to see it a fourth time. Yeah, definitely. I you think know? so. I... In that way, narratively, I don't think it's missing much by by fading to white anyway. No, I think. I think Rodriguez has got a pretty, pretty well, and Tarantino too, pretty good sense of like both how you pace action sequences through a movie, and mm-hmm. also you know playing each one slightly differently. Yeah, like this one is more comic. This one is more you know um, melodramatic. You know, I, th- yeah. I think they know they know what they're doing there. I did want to comment on, and this is a little bit earlier in the movie, a rarity in any movie, which is a walking away from an explosion moment that is somewhere near as cool as it thinks it is. Yeah. (laughs) But you want to know why? Why? Because... They're walking away from an exploding building? Yeah, and they were like, they could smell their singed hair and were worried they were going to get hurt. (laughs) I thought these things only happened on the set of Doctor Who when they had no money. No. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, how many times have we seen that image? I mean, yeah, because Antonio Banderas has has been quoted several times as saying, the stunts that I was doing in that movie were dangerous, and 
I would not do them today. Like they like, you know, it was not smart. Some of the stuff that he did, apparently. And they're the last gen. I mean, Rodriguez and Tarantino are from that last generation who you still have, practical. at least in American cinema, still have the kind of practical pride, if you yeah. like, of like action should be action. We shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't dress it up with CGI or replace it with CGI. Yeah, I think there was something about, um, you know, when they're on top of the buildings and he has to kind of backwards fall off of it or something. There was like they had harnesses for not harnesses. They did not have harnesses. Basically, they had rope and just tied it around his waist. But that rope was being manned by like somebody they found on the street. It was not a professional stuntman helping I was, I was him stay s- on top of that building. I was gonna say, like the um, in in my credit check, I noticed like a lot of uh, thanks to a lot of like right. local non-speaking extras or people working behind the scenes. So clearly, that was the crew. Right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, it's yeah. It's just it's that explains so much because there's a moment I notice when I presume it's the the scene where they're kind of like hanging out of the window when they're escaping the the bookstore fire mm-hmm. that they're talking about and and I, I I thought it was a great piece of acting. Antonio Banderas is I don't know what he's saying, but he babbles something like get me out of that like that, and I mm-hmm. thought wow that looks really real yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It's like, it's like, like, you know, he just like, it it looks, I was like, that's really good because, you know, English is not his first language and it looks like him, his English breaking down helps with the panic of the moment. But clearly he's not even acting (laughs) at that point. He's just like, why did you, why did you let that guy who sweeps the road hold this rope? (laughs) 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 Oh my gosh. Amazing. Well, as he says, Tom, it's easier to destroy than to create. Hmm. Well, it uh, works for me. Yeah, I love this movie. I still really love this movie. I wouldn't say I love this movie, but I like I like it a lot. Um, I like the way it ends a lot. Yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot. Well, like you said, it's a it's a great setup. Well, <laughs> it's like. It's like so. It's like you can see the scene being. Uh, this is the. This is why it's so good because the cold open is exactly the same. You can see the scene being written. Yeah. In real time. You can see the like. I throw away the guitar case, and then Rodriguez is like, "Oh, maybe, maybe we want that for the next movie." Okay, let's have him go back and get it. Right. <laughs> Because not then... only does it set up for something to happen afterwards, but it's just a great joke. Oh, yeah. It's 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 like, you know, it, I mean, obviously for our purposes, it's the perfect symbol of how sequels have to ride that, you know, they have to move back and forth between old and new roads. And this yeah. is happening quite literally in this scene. Mm-hmm. But I just, I could just see Robert Rodriguez go, oh, yes, yeah, like, I might want that for the next one. <laughs> 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 and it's the same in the cold open where you're just like it's like it's like what information do we need to give people about El Mariachi and how can we do it in the most fun way possible? Yeah. So I think I think it's really it's really excellent. Um the way this movie begins and ends and its overall premise, I think, are the best things going for it. Um, no, yeah, absolutely. I agree. And some of the nonsense in between, that's why it bothers me less. Because the backbone of it is really is so strong. strong. Yeah. yeah. And I um, I always felt the same way as you did in terms of the movie's problems. But they, for whatever reason, they did not bother me as much on this viewing. Well, they don't. I mean, you know, when we did Batman... I remember when we did Batman Forever... And I said something like, you know, I would be willing to give this movie a pass if it wasn't so obnoxious in the way its problems were flagged up. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, exactly what I said about the opposite here, or what I said about Bucho and the compound. It's like you it's a bit it of the pass. movie. You, it's a bit of the movie you can ignore if you want to. Mm-hmm. You can sort of just like go take a pee, come back, get a soda. The comp- they're still at the compound, but <laughs> yeah. you know, we're going back to El Mariachi. Try doing that with Once Upon a Time in Mexico. No, oh, man. You would never leave the fucking toilet. Right. <laughs> you would be like, what matters? What doesn't? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But Anything I... left for you on Desperado? I think I did my my credit check uh, in, in episode, in world. Yeah, you did. Because I said steady cam, he did his own steady cam. Lots of Mexican locals credited, right? Who are apparently illegal labor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you really, they really are LA guys, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> it's like they're in the middle of Mexico and they're still exploiting local Mexican labor. <laughs> oh fuck! Well, uh, did Tom? Did I ever thank you for doing this podcast with me? Is this the line from the movie? Yeah, just say no. Oh, I didn't. I don't. What? I don't know what that is. <laughs> just say no. No. I will. Man, you uh, flubbed that bit. I did. Well, I, I, <laughs> I was, I was just taken aback by. I thought it was going to be like a genuine, affectionate moment, and oh god, no! It knocked me for, <laughs> knocked me for six. But I do yeah. love you. And I do love doing this podcast with you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you love Tom as much as I do, let us know. Find us on Instagram, (laughs) Facebook, or Twitter. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. Unless you are the representatives of the actor playing Bucho, in which case... (laughs) You might have words uh, for Tom. Yes. (laughs) For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions... I am Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Stay tuned for Once Upon a Time in Mexico coming up next. Say goodbye, Tom. Is that happening right now? (laughs) Finish with Tarantino. Love it. Until next time, everybody. Take care.